Welcome to the Sound Lens Podcast. I'm Jillian Wise. And I'm Louise Fagan. And we're here today with Patricia Taylor Kennedy. Patricia is an author, coach, and CEO at The Kennedy Effect, a personal and business consulting firm. Her book, The Game of Life, A Woman's Game Plan for Success, was released this past fall. It's part guidebook to navigating workplace systems while also being very motivational. With practical, actionable ideas, Patricia draws on her own experiences to help us create the life of our dreams. Welcome, Patricia. Thank you. It's so exciting to be here. Hi, Patricia. We're so happy you're here. Thank you so much for joining us. You have so many things that we want to dig into, but before we do, we're curious, what is your first recollection of or your early perceptions of women in the workplace? The way that I was raised and socially programmed in the 60s, it it was a whole different world back then. So women were still, we didn't have rights like we have today. Women were fighting for being able to show up at an office in the office environment and not be hit on and not be sexualized and all of that sort of thing. I was not an adult in the 60s. This is what I grew up in and this is how my parents were taught and what they thought. And so I was very socialized and conditioned to be the stay-at-home mom. Someone's going to take care of me. Don't worry about getting a degree. You don't need one. (laughs) What are you going to do with a degree? And in the workplace, when I entered the workforce, it was still very male-dominated. And it was just so completely different. So let me give you an example of what it was like. If a woman was going to try to get into leadership, first of all, not likely to happen, but... But in order to bond with your team, the boys would go to a strip club. And so a woman couldn't go. I mean, normally you can go, of course, but it was frowned upon. But this was like the good old boys. They could go and, and gather and do these kinds of things. And women weren't included. And we were not part of the boys, the good old boys network. And we still struggle with that today. And so when you were younger, the roles that women had, how were those modeled for you? It sounds like maybe your mom was a more traditional stay-at-home mom. Did you have models of women in leadership or who were hoping to get those roles? Not when I first started. And so my mom did work. She was a dental hygienist and that's how she met my dad. And then when she had three children and I'm the middle child, she stayed at home. But then when we were older, she went back to work for a while. So even though like traditionally she didn't stay home, she still took care of the kids, did all the things, you know, is expected to do everything very similar to what women are expected to do today in the household. You decided you were going to go to university or to college. What was the reaction in your home? I mean, was it supportive for you? Were your friends going? What was happening in your community at that time? A lot of friends were going to college, but I was just like this, I had a different mentality and it was more free spirited and and I was taught and conditioned, oh, you don't really need to go to school. So I just signed up for community college My parents didn't have a problem with that. I just didn't take it seriously until I moved to New York City and then took a look around at what was really happening. (laughs) And this is when I was 29. And I'm, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I need to get some more education. Women are in leadership. And if I go to school, then then I can move up the ranks too, or be treated as an equal if I walked into an organization. I didn't take it seriously until I was older. I love though that you saw the potential, right? You saw the potential of what was possible and it struck something 
something in you. When you were there in, in New York, what prompted the move to New York? I was a flight attendant. Oh, cool. And I had to be based out of JFK Airport, so I had to live in New York City. And so just to have an idea of what I was like, I had long hair, long fingernails, makeup all over the place, and I was conditioned to always look pretty and so I became a flight attendant, right? So like that was, oh my gosh, <laughs> I want to be a flight attendant. Glamorous at the time. I had been an office manager, basically doing everything from payroll to accounts receivable, accounts payable, running a whole office for a company, a small company. And I was making process improvements and I was doing all kinds of things. And then I got married. I you know, ticked that box at 27. I got married. And then at 29, I'm like, I'm going to, I want to be a flight attendant. And so I got Go and get based in New York City, got a divorce. <laughs> My ex-husband was so happy to move me, help move me up to New York City because <laughs> that was his plan all along. And I was just not, I was emotionally unaware, not even anywhere close to being emotionally intelligent. I just kind of, oh, I'll go over here. I'll go over there. And then I became a flight attendant and realized this is not for me. I want structure. I don't want to be trapped on a plane with 300 people. And I didn't want to travel. I wanted a more regular schedule. And that's when I got a job and I decided I'm going to stay in New York City and make this work. Mm. And then I did get an into an organization where they paid for school and I went to school at night. I graduated with honors, Marymount Manhattan College. And that's where a lot of the folks that were associated with that children's show, Sesame Street. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of their alum went right into the show in one form or another in terms of makeup, props, script writing, songs, all the things. So it's just kind of like anyone who graduated from that college. So I picked it purposefully because I wanted more of a creative environment. So I didn't go to like NYU because I'm like, I'm just going to be lost Mm -hmm. as a number. What did you study then? Business, (laughs) because it was the only thing that the company would pay for. Right. But I did get to take theater classes and exposure to so much more. That was what I was craving. And then learning so Mm -hmm. much more. It was just an eye opener. It was wonderful. Wow. It sounds like a rock and roll decade of your 20s. (laughs) I wish it was rock and roll. It's kind of very not rock and roll. (laughs) Well, it's interesting, Patricia. I was just going to say that I think women who grew up in the 60s and 70s, many of us have a similar story of our 20s, going on what we feel is kind of expected of us and then realizing that is not really how we want to have our lives fully defined. And then having to go through some some really challenging personal things to be able to make a shift. It, there's a lot of vulnerability there too. And I that is really good of you to share that because I think a lot of women and men can recognize having to go through challenging things to to be able to live the life of their dreams, which again, we're going to get to, but I'm fascinated with your story where we're at so far. So then what happens? (laughs) I get my degree. Well, first of all, I wasn't rock and roll. I was disco, Julian. (laughs) I wish I were rock and roll. I wanted to be with the rock and rollers. (laughs) Disco sounds fun too. hair and all the things. (laughs) After that, I got my degree and I realized I was in trust and estates. So I started out as an executive secretary 
And so I had an office and my office overlooked the MoMA Sculpture Garden. And it was only because I was a secretary for these two executives, right? But I could go to school, they paid for it. And it was perfect because it was just like, I can do this so easily. And it was not as much as what an executive assistant would be responsible for today. So I got my degree and I did have time to do all the things that I needed to do. And then I moved into, after I got my degree, trust like to be in trust in estates as a trust administrator. Mm. And the experience, they called it walk the dog. Like we would do anything. If we needed to walk their dog, we would walk their dog for all of these wealthy people. And I realized that it just was not for me. I didn't want to have that kind of life. I And I could have gone down the attorney track. I just knew it wasn't right. And so during the Olympics in Atlanta, my mom moved up to Atlanta and I went down to visit her during the Olympics. And I fell in love with Atlanta because I was raised in South Florida, okay. moved to New York City, made that huge adjustment. And then this was like in between and I'm still here. Wow. <laughs> and then my, my biological clock was ticking. Yes. <laughs> like Marissa Tomei and that movie. Cousin Vinny. Cousin Vinny yeah. I'm like, I got to have a kid. This is the time. And so I went on a dating app, which was really new mm-hmm. at that time and met somebody and we clicked and had two beautiful, wonderful girls. Wow. <laughs> I got divorced seven years later, single mom, very difficult, went through a lot of struggles. So I have to say my ex-husband was a caretaker. So I worked and he took care of the children and he cooked and he cleaned. And so when I came home, I could spend all this time with my girls and it was wonderful. And then when we got divorced, all that changed and so did my personality. And I realized, and it took a lot of years, right? I realized how dysfunctional I was behaving. I had to start figuring out who am I? What am I? What am I wanting to be in this life? And what do I really want to do? That journey helped me to become more self-aware and all the the important things, right? And my career started moving along and it was great. So when my children were born, I was thinking that women were going to catch up. It's going to be equitable and we're going to get the same pay and it's not going to be like it is now when they were born. And it wasn't going to be like it was Mm -hmm. when I went into the workforce. And unfortunately, not much has changed. We're still making 80 384 cents on the same dollar men earn on average. And so that's what compelled me to write the book to kind of bring in, look, you've got to look inward and at yourself and make those changes internally. The world isn't going to change for you. You need to change yourself. I mean, you used the word dysfunction earlier, but um, I'm curious, like, you're talking about changing your behavior to make things more equitable for women and for yourself. Were you changing your behavior in the workplace during that time or was it also at home or where were you seeing that shift was needed to be made? So the easiest entry point for that is at home. When people go into an organization and you have a boss and you have coworkers and you have a boss's boss and you've got this whole org chart, right, of people, what happens is we work out all of our inner struggles with our moms, how we were raised with our dads, with our sisters and brothers. And what happens in true life is we're working through that in the in the work environment. We, we do that when we get married in a partnership. We're acting out on these unconscious behaviors, socialization, all the things we learned, how things were supposed to be. And then all of our unmet needs mm-hmm. as children, they come out. <laughs> in the expectations. What do you mean? You know, I'm not going to, you should know what I want. (laughs) 
I shouldn't have to tell you, that kind of thing. It plays out at home, so fix it in yourself and it's a safer environment at home than it is at work. And then it just starts to permeate how you show up at work as well. Over time, yes, that did happen. That's so interesting. You implemented this at home for yourself, you know, in your own personal life. And then you started to show up at work, you know, with a more defined sense of yourself and your own purpose and how you wanted to be. What was the response like in your your workplace? I don't know that I really got any feedback from people who said we've noticed a change. It was very gradual. And I had different roles along the way, different teams that I worked with. But I can say that I felt different. I looked at my role differently. I looked at the people I was working with differently. And when you can understand what you didn't get when, you know, the needs that you didn't get met when you were a child, this is really the crux of a lot Mm -hmm. of the problems that we have in this world. When I realized that I can be self-supportive and it doesn't matter if I screwed up when I did this thing or how great I thought I was, I would prepare. At first, I have to be honest, at first I realized that my identity was work. Mm, My identity is right now. I am love and presence and calm. That's my identity because I had to change and say things like that to myself so that when I would go and get like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I got passed over for this or that. It's like, wait a minute, I can go find another job. I'm valuable. I love myself. I know that I'm going to show up and do a great job, but work is not who I am. And making that distinction is so important for women and for everybody, honestly. How did you do that initially, make that distinction? Through a lot of tears and therapy. good recipe and a life coach Mm -hmm. so here's the thing I think it's so important to get therapy I think Mm -hmm. that we all need it I think we're all broken in some way and that's why we're in this state where people troll you on the internet or I can go on for days about that but if we heal ourselves then we heal the world realizing that I was showing up in a way that I didn't Mm -hmm. want to that wasn't who I really wanted to be or how I thought of myself, but not understanding what was happening. So I'm like, I go to a therapist, you know, and then the thing about going to therapy back in the day, it was a lot Mm -hmm. different and it still is, but there's a lot more information that therapists have to, to understand and help people. But think the life coaching that I got sped up my journey so much faster because it's one thing to learn oh my gosh, I'm dysfunctional. I didn't get my needs met. And it's another thing. Okay, what are you going to do now? And that's what a coach does. What are you going to do now about it? How can you start to think differently? How can you integrate what you've learned and move forward? And it does happen much more quickly. So I think that combination is what really made a difference. It was through, I guess, your personal experience that you found that this is something that that everybody could use. Yes. When you start to see it in yourself, then you can see it in in the world. You start to recognize it. And when people act out, you start to recognize what's happening and you start to recognize, okay, 
I don't have to go into a tailspin because somebody said something negative. I can either take it with a grain of salt or just understand that person's having a bad day. Or I see it a little more deeply sometimes, you know, we're, we're not perfect all the time. And if we have a feeling or a belief that we are and we have to show up perfect all the time, then we struggle through our lives. It can cause anxiety. So I think their anxiety is just off the charts for people. We don't stay in the present. And when we're mindful, we become more aware. You can't take a breath from the past. You can't take a breath in the future. You can only breathe right Mm -hmm. now. And so what can I do to self-soothe or think differently so I'm not in a spiral in my mind. And I talk a little bit about this in the book as well. And when I'm in that place of presence, I can show up more fully at work with my children, with friends. Yeah. And when you have some self-compassion and you can bring that into the other spaces that you occupy, it does really alter how you see other people, not only your response, which for me is always sometimes the biggest challenge, right? Just to get through my own filters and biases, but also then to having some grace with other people. But the other thing I I wonder about, Patricia, is how it changes the tone of the room itself Mm. that you're in. Even just showing up in that frame of mind with that kind of energy around you. How have you seen a workplace situation change because of that? In the past, I was very anxious and so I would show up with expectations of, I got to make sure approving myself. That causes a very dysfunctional dynamic if I'm on a team, especially if I'm leading a team. So what happens is when you become more self-aware and you show up authentically and you can be present and, and just really listen and be calm, then you think about the other people that you're with and the dynamics of what's happening. And they pick up on that energy. You're, the people that you're with pick up on that same energy and it does bring a more healthier environment and also offers teaching moments. I know what I went through. I know how I behaved. And I can take someone aside and just say, hey, you know, it sounds like you're really frustrated over something X, Y, Z and help them to maybe have a different style of thinking about whatever that XYZ thing was or how to just become self-aware that, oh, somebody saw how frustrated I was. It just starts people on a journey. So it's not like I'm trying to do therapy or life coaching <laughs> with my team, but it just, that's that's a huge win for anybody at any, any part of a team. You set by example, because we all want to copy each other. That's how we learn. And so can you describe what the Kennedy effect is and how it came about? I wanted to have an impact on the world. My mission is to make the world a more equitable and balanced place. One woman at a time. If I have that mission, then I go to market. I go to market to attract women because I focus on women. It's not that I don't coach men. I've coached men as well, but I feel like I'm on this mission for equity. I can teach men, but I just want to help women. I think that's where I'm really trying to make a difference in how we think about ourselves and how we can value ourselves more deeply. Then my coaching, I have the book and then I have a program. It's a career transformation program. And I just recently rebranded and it's called She Shines.
what is the program itself? Can you tell us a little bit about it? There's different ways that I engage with people. We, I do one-on-one coaching, but I'm learning more and more that we're all children of emotionally unprepared parents. <laughs> <laughs> and then even if your parent is perfect, there's no such thing, when you're between the ages of zero and seven, your perception of what happened or you didn't get that need met because mom was trying to grab her other daughter from running out in the street after I had fallen down and scraped my knee. My mommy hates me. She's not helping me with my knee because she had to go get the other kid <laughs> off the yeah. street. In that moment, I could have interpreted that as my mom doesn't love me. And then my lens throughout the whole my whole life is I'm not lovable. So the program, I start out from a point of view that there's some basic awareness that we women have to have have because the program is about transforming your career. A lot of women are stuck. They're not sure where to go. They were like me. They had an identity that work is everything. That's my identity or my identity is I'm a mom. Mm -hmm. That's it. I'm a mom. That's not truly a healthy identity. <laughs> Based on what's happened in your early childhood, you show up in different ways. I have a way to help women in the start of the program to get grounded, to start different things that they can do to start becoming more aware. Because the moment you step out into a new job or try to, that's when your inner gremlins are like, oh no, you can't do that. You're not doing that. Mm -hmm. Nope. Mm -hmm. You're not good enough. You're not this. This is too good to be true. Oh, I better stay where I am. And then also women have problems. We, a lot of women, not everyone, we are the caretakers for everyone else and we don't take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I help in the beginning of the program and then I get into the tactical with self-awareness and then I get into the tactical aspects of how to think when you go to a, when you're writing your resume, how to think about yourself, how to think differently and value what you've done. And then I also help them to really get clear on their purpose in life and why they're here and why they want that job. Because a lot of us get stuck and we're not sure, should I go over here? Should I go over there? And then fear comes in and you're in a spiral. So doing that kind of work up front before I teach them like cutting edge tactical things to do, and especially salary negotiation, because that's where the gremlins come up again and they stop you from asking for a higher salary. Who are your clients? Like, is there a specific type of person or are you hired by corporations? My clients are generally women that are stuck in place. The majority of my clients are women whose children are either in college or pretty close to getting into college. And now they have to like rethink their lives right. and what they want to do. And they never took the time to do that. They yeah. were never taught how. That's a majority of my clients. I love that what you're talking about, Patricia, is that bridge, which is, you know, there's lots of books about personal self-help and self-care. So important. There's lots of books about career advice, but it's this bridging of the two and focusing on yourself personally and then taking that vision of yourself and implementing it into your next phase of work or your current phase wanting to change it. I just think that is brilliant. And I don't think there's a lot of that out there. And I just love the focus on looking at yourself personally, as opposed to how I need to show up in this office space to be accepted in that office space in a way that that office space expects me to be. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to, I have all these yes. other gifts I can bring, and this is who I am fully yes. as a person. Authenticity, absolutely. It wins every time. And the people who don't like it, oh, 
well, they have some growth to attend to. Have you seen the situation evolve at all since you started this work to now in terms of maybe the challenges that your clients are up against in the workplace? Has it shifted at all? The men don't typically invite women to the strip club if you're trying to get part of, to be part of the boys club. They, they might still do it in some cases, but that's generally frowned upon. So things like <laughs> right. that. There is a big push in corporate America to make sure that women are given equal opportunity. And if you're a woman of color, it's even more difficult. Mm-hmm. And the pay is even worse, yeah. if you can believe that. It's really sad. There's a lot of corporations and companies that are taking proactive steps to make sure that they have a, an equitable opportunity. Like, so they have a lot of resumes from different, just very diverse mm-hmm. gender, race, neurodiversity. A lot of companies are taking those steps to make sure that they bring in the right candidates into the pool. If they're not doing that and they're listening, please start doing that immediately. <laughs> and then the second part is what happens to men and women is we like to hire people who look like us. Mm-hmm. We like to hire people who are like us. They do some similar things. Men have been doing this forever and they don't see the bias. And then there's women who hire only women and we don't see the bias, right? Being aware of your internal biases is the only way that this is going to help fix things so that you take a step back and say, okay, I'm not going to look at male or female. And sometimes recruiters will make sure you don't know gender race or anything. Sometimes even to the point where some colleges where you have more advantage if you went to Harvard. I mean, that's just a fact, right? People are going to be like, oh, we went to Harvard. We should look at this and we'll pay them more. If you went to just a community college, you don't have a chance, right? Some organizations are even looking at that level. So to answer your question, I hope this does. It starts with us and how we decide we want to make diversity and equity important to ourselves. When we change ourselves, it's from the ground up. I can see it being so powerful, even if you are a leader in a workspace, how powerful it is, but also just advocating for the other people at the table. If you're an employee or part of a team that's, you're not the leader of the team, but what are some ways that we could be supportive of our colleagues? How does that translate outside of ourselves if in the workplace, like in a meeting setting? for example. There's different avenues. There's a very familiar one that people talk about a lot, especially on TikTok, where we get mansplained. (laughs) If you witness that, you can take that person aside and say, hey, that doesn't feel very good. And it's usually, sometimes it's a woman who's splaining. Many times it's a man because men have learned to take up their space. Women sit, our legs are closed. We just have to make sure we're very quiet and we get along and I'll make sure everyone likes me, however it's showing up. If you see a colleague, a woman who's allowing a man to talk over her or mansplain, you can pull her aside and have a conversation and acknowledge that that happened Mm -hmm. because sometimes they're not even consciously aware that that's a problem because they've been so conditioned their whole lives. I was like that, right? It took me a while to see it. And then you can also pull the perpetrator, (laughs) I guess maybe that's a harsh word, But the person who might have an opportunity where you can explain, hey, that wasn't really cool. Maybe next time you could try a different approach. You know, it is being an advocate for both sides. The situation that you just described of the mansplaining, it happens all the time. And 
my first response or feeling that came up when you were saying, oh, like you can take the person aside and tell them, oh, I didn't really like how that felt. That almost, I'm thinking about doing that and it feels uncomfortable because it feels like, oh, I'm making a big deal out of this thing that's like not really a big deal or I'm being too reactive or sensitive to it. What is your response to maybe a client who would feel like I'm feeling right now when you're suggesting that? I can appreciate that because that's something that I had to overcome. One of the things that we feel is like everything is our fault. Everything. We take responsibility for things that are not ours. And one of the things that I teach in my course is accountability and letting others be accountable for their behaviors. I can only be accountable for mine. So I'm not taking on that shit. And so I help my clients to see that it doesn't belong to them. And it takes time for them to go out in the world and experience and like, oh yeah, that's not mine to take on. And then the other thing too is I like to help them get to the point where they stand up for themselves and stop it dead in the tracks Mm -hmm. in the meeting and embarrass the heck out of the person, not necessarily in a mean way. But what happens is when we first learn this, we want to be, you should have done that, Tom, you know, or whatever. And instead be more like, yeah, as I explained before you tried to explain what I just said, I was saying this. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) But we have to start where we are. Yeah, just awareness Mm -hmm. is the beginning. It really is. And I think, you know, I think you're right, Jillian, that was so I'm so glad Jillian, you asked Patricia to kind of go because I was feeling the same thing. I was like, okay, um, I'm going to try to say something. But, you know, like, you just kind of like, do I feel icky? And that's because I would feel responsible for how that person felt even though that person is potentially the one who made other people feel bad. And also what place is it of mine? This is the whole thing. It's about also where is my place in this conversation? If I'm an observer of something, a dynamic, at what point do I jump in? And is it my place to? But Patricia, you kind of, you let us off the hook in two ways. First of all, about the accountability, but also about finding the way that is comfortable for us. It's baby steps. It's like a pendulum, right? You might have been way over here on this side, and then you learn something new and you swing way over to another reactionary way of behaving, which is normal because we have to test it out. But then we swing to the middle eventually if we keep at it. And so that's the goal when we start to become more aware. So accountability is the main thing. And then there is how we react to things. We have an event that happens. So there's event. And then there is our thoughts about what that event was. So Tom talked over me. I'm very scared because I don't feel comfortable saying anything. And is it me? I'm not sure. So that thought brings up feelings. And we get like people might be worried and anxious. Oh, I better not say anything. And then you can't hear the rest of the meeting. Right. (laughs) Or you could be angry and you still can't hear the rest of the meeting (laughs) because you're, I can't believe he did that. So being aware that an event causes you to think about and interpret what that event meant to you. And then you have feelings about that event. Then that equals your reaction. It's okay to sit and not say anything and just start to become aware of this is happening. And maybe you can't listen to the rest of the meeting, but the next time it happens, you might be a little more prepared and maybe you're not angry or anxious 
and you're just calm mm. and you just let it pass and you listen to the rest of the meeting. And then maybe the next time Tom steps up and shows his antics that you say, hey, Tom, I already said that you know, five minutes ago. So thank you for bringing it up again. And by the way, I would like to add and keep going on. It's a progression and it's all about awareness first. But I think having that understanding of how we judge that event, we also start to learn how we judge ourselves in that event. Mm-hmm. It helps to bring awareness to what's happening. You wrote this book, The Game of Life. Can you tell us how that came about? It's for my daughters, basically, but it's also for all the women that I've coached and, and that I see the patterns. The patterns haven't changed. Mm. We still take on much more than is ours in terms of our of a scenario. We still get paid 84 cents. It's 83 and some change cents on the same dollar. So nothing changed. So I'm like, I got to write a book. Yeah, I got to change this. I think that the best path forward is to help women to rethink who they are. And when you come from a healthier state of being, guess what? Your children are healthier. Your spouse is healthier. Your friends are healthier. You start to see where there's toxicity and you start to either distance or try to repair, but it's that person's toxicity. It's not yours. Mm -hmm. And starting to realize all of these kinds of things about ourselves, I think that's how we're going to change the world. So that's how the book came about. I'm just curious in general, for the younger women in the workforce coming up, so I'm going to say the generation blows like Jillian's age and up, what general advice would you have? I would say... Think about how you want to show up in the world. What is it that you want to be? Not do, but be. For example, if you look at the end of your life, just future pace to the end of your life, and you're in the rocking chair smoking a pipe, (laughs) (laughs) and you're thinking back on your life and the things that you're most proud of, what will those things be? When I look back on my life, I am so proud of myself for how far I've come. I don't want to be an angel looking down and and thinking, oh my gosh, I could have done that better. (laughs) I want to be better now. And what don't I know? And what can I learn to do that? I tied my identity to doing Mm -hmm. things that I was doing instead of who do I want to be? So if you set an intention every day for who you want to be and how you want to show up that day, but also future pacing of who you want to be when you're retired and looking back on your life, you don't remember the car you had or the house you bought or the job you got, unless it's a job that's saving the world, of course. It's the moments where you help somebody. It's the moments where you were so happy just to be breathing air, sitting outside, looking at trees. Those are the moments that matter in our lives. It's not the doing and the accomplishments and those will come and that those are great. But I'm telling you when you're older and you're looking back, it's those things that are going to make the biggest difference. So if I could go back in time and change how I was, I would think about who I want to be and how I want to show up every day. And that is your identity. That's who you are. Oh, I feel 
Yeah. It was fun. <laughs> it was really, really fun. I am always energized after our conversations, but Patricia's, yeah, I feel I'm just in a, in a very motivated, but really good mood. I had so many more questions too. Like there are a lot of things I wanted to ask in different directions. Like I wanted more examples of yeah. the language when she was giving the Tom situation. And when she pulled that out, I was like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> that was fun. I, I wanted to see more of that. Totally, totally. I'm like, yeah, we're going to have to enroll. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I wanted to, when she talked about the pay equity, which is a, which is a big deal, when she was saying 83 cents on the dollar is white, and that's specifically white women. Um, women of color in the US make, get this, 64 cents on the dollar. <gasps> Hispanic women, 57 cents on the dollar. Jesus. There are different numbers for Asian women and then different numbers for Native American women as well. So there's been a lot of work and um, research done on this. So it, it's across the board. It's I mean, as she mentioned later on in the conversation, those those numbers are the 83 cents is different for women of color and Hispanic women. So those numbers are just atrocious. And I love I love the idea of, you know, one person at a time makes the difference. You know, there are a lot of institutions and organizations that are implementing some kind of equity, diversity, inclusion mandate and more should be. But even then, those mandates don't always work or they don't have an impact right away. And mm -hmm. not even all companies are making mm -hmm. those types of changes that to have a way where you can have some kind of control over what's happening because you're focusing on yourself and how you approach situations rather than fighting to try and get your employer, let's say, to make changes it seems like a more attainable approach to having an impact on your own outcome and not saying that it's always going to be successful or it's going to be equal and there are added challenges depending on your circumstance, but it's still kind of a bit of a relief to know that, okay, if I can change my own behavior and how I approach these situations, there is maybe going to be an outcome. Yes, that's right. As opposed to feeling you have to take on a whole system. You got to take right. on, on your whole workplace. Yeah. No, I can just affect how I show up and be accountable for myself. That Yeah, that that's kind of what I was talking about when I was like, oh, the relief. Like, it's like, I don't know if I have time today to like take on the man. <laughs> take on, on <laughs> when I say the man, I'm just talking about, you know, any kind of corporate yeah. structure that I'm going to have to go and implement. But how about I just work on myself and also be an advocate for the people around me that I have feel an alignment towards. So when she was giving those great, like that great walkthrough example at the end, so you've got the event mm -hmm. that happened and she talked through that. There's a fantastic website called the atlasofemotions.org. Okay. And it was created by the Dalai Lama and it's totally interactive and you can go in and it takes you through the kind of equation that she talks about. It could be, I, they were trying to attack me, trying to right. undermine me. You press that. And what are your options for emotions? And it just tells you all the different scenarios. It kind of plays it all out. It works on your phone. It works on your computer. Cool. It's really, really fun. You can go that in and like, like fun. yeah, you can just go in and kind of play around with scenarios. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So highly recommend. Okay, cool. The at what's it called? The Atlas of what? Emotions.org. The Atlas of Emotions.org. Dalai Lama. Presented by. <laughs> Our next guest.
<laughs> I was also surprised when she, I guess I just wasn't expecting it to be as much about internal reflection and you know when she was talking about oh like after her second husband and she was realizing how her behavior wasn't helping her in any way and just how she decided to look inwards and I just for whatever reason I wasn't expecting that to be the shift Hmm. I guess I just was surprised that the coaching was so well-rounded like I the coaching that I've seen in the past or that I've experienced is very like, oh, this is like salary negotiations is very actionable. This is how you should approach it. This is how you should think about it. Rather than also working through all your own shit and trauma and how that impacts you going into a space and what comes up for you. And I just wasn't expecting that kind of like 360 approach. And I think that that's the, one of the special things about her work is that she starts with her own accountability, right. right? Our own accountability for situations. And I wanted to also say that when I asked her if she had any gems for like your generation, I wasn't, I hope I wasn't kind of othering you in any way. I was just thinking no. that, you know, like she had that. talked about, okay, great. Cause she talked about her daughters and yeah. the kind of like that propelled her. And I understand that motivation for your own, you know, wanting to do something for your own kids to maybe make a path a little easier or something. So I just wanted to. Yeah, no, that didn't, I didn't feel othered at all. We are different generations and I like to highlight that when it makes sense to. Okay, perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect. When she talked about wanting to show up differently and, and changing her own behavior. So she was tired of showing up the way she was showing up. The language I use around this, and it came to me late life too, I got tired of telling myself the same stories about myself and other people. I just like got, it got tiresome. I was like, wait a minute, is this really true? Mm. Is this the truth? Am I just, and so I'm so tired of being either like, if I was victimizing myself or martyring myself, I got tired of telling that narrative, trying to support that narrative in myself. Right. You know, yeah, and it's just because the, the outcomes are the same, which so. is dissatisfying. So it's like at some point, the only change you can make is how you're behaving or responding to it. So if you change the narrative a little bit, maybe the outcome will be different. That's awesome. true. It's a good reminder. Thank you, Patricia. Um, okay, so we're doing wait, what's you can find Patricia Taylor Kennedy on her website, kennedyeffect.com. She also has a Facebook group, She Shines Career Catalyst, that you can join, and her book. The Game of Life is available now and you can find it on her website. She also mentioned it's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It sounds like you can get it wherever you get your books. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, download the episodes, like, and review the SoundLens podcast and share it with someone you think would enjoy it. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at SoundLens Podcast. And for more episodes, visit SoundLensPodcast.com. Have a great day, Jillian. Bye. 